Thanks, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of Conversations with Dr. Cowan and Friends. And today I have a new friend who I just met. Uh, his name is either Jan or John Nilsson. I think he, he answers to either from what I hear. And he is the, I don't know if inventor, creator, originator, whatever, of something called Chargro, which we will be talking about. Uh, and, and I'll just say John. John is a soil scientist by profession. I think that's correct. By the way, John, I always tell people in the intro, if you hear anything that you don't agree with or I got wrong, please correct me. Um, so just for a minute, I'm just going to uh, go into, uh, I, I was thinking about what do I know about soil? You know, I mean, I've been the head gardener, whatever that means for Dr. Cowan's garden for five years. And, you know, I taught gardening in, in the Peace Corps in Swaziland, having known nothing about gardening. That was 40 years ago and pretty much have gardened ever since. And some of them have been bigger. You know, I grew 2,800 pounds of tomatoes one year and those kind of things. So a little bit bigger, sometimes smaller. Um, but when I think back, uh, what inspired me about soil and gardening? It's really three things. One was I read a book, uh, you probably know this, uh, Soil, Grass and Cancer by Andre Voisson. He was a French guy who, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a doctor, so I got in, I'm interested primarily in human health, but he talks about the connection between the health of the soil, the health of the animals, and the health of the people. Now, I would point out that none, none of that connection did anybody ever say anything about in any of my years of medical education. Nobody wow. said, hey, this guy's problem is because the soil where his food comes is no good. And yet uh, he made a pretty convincing case that there is a connection. And he talked mostly about minerals and all that. Uh, another one which you may know about is called the Albrecht Papers. Uh, oh, he yeah. is, he's a, a famous soil scientist. I think- Looking to see if I had it. Yeah, in <laughs> but Missouri. I or somewhere, you know, I mean, famous guy, right? You know, everybody yep. knows. And, yep. and again, it's the same thing. You know, the soil is A, the wealth of the community, right? The nation. It's not paper money, it's soil. Right. And whenever the soil degrades, that country or civilization or whatever it is, they tend to fall apart because yep. the health of the people falls apart. But yet again, nobody ever said in any medical situation that I've ever really been in, you know, you know, we should look at the soil of the community in Ankara, Ohio or something. Nobody ever said anything like that. And the final one, and I guess I would admit, I don't know that all this is 100% accurate, but I think it is, because what I understand is that when the original settlers in the United States went out east, uh, sorry, went moved west, and they crossed into the Great Plains and particularly places like Kansas, et cetera, what they found were two very specific things. 
One were uh, people who were incredibly healthy. You know, they lived their whole lives. And this is, was documented uh, really pretty convincingly by a number of people. No cancer, no heart disease. You know, they lived long, healthy lives, no doctors, no medical interventions. They died apparently mostly of accidents. You know, they fell <laughs> off their horse or something, which, you know, I mean, that happens. Um, yeah. There was a famous one uh, painting of a guy named Buffalo Bull Backfat, 70 year old guy uh, who uh, was painted by a famous painter, I can't remember the guy's name. His portrait hangs in the Smithsonian, 70 years old. He was a chief, perfect teeth, perfect health. You know, he was riding bareback on horses for, you know, as 70. And I'm not sure how many of us could actually do that. Yeah. The other thing, but the important thing for, for us is these settlers said the soil in there in the great, you know, the plains and the, the Flint Hills and 15 feet deep. Yep. Now, I don't know if that's accurate. I think it's sort yeah. of, that's what they all said. And, and th they said you could grow anything there. I mean, there were 15 foot deep, rich soil. And then what was so interesting is, you know, 50 to 100 years of, interestingly, organic agriculture, right? So with yeah. just plowing and growing corn and whatever, wheat, uh, organically, they, they created the Dust Bowl and they ruined a lot of the topsoil. And now we have a hard pan of, I don't know how many feet deep, but not that big. And I, yeah. I would venture to say that anybody who looks at that situation would say the soil is not as good as it was then. No, it isn't. Yeah. Like not even close. And so interestingly, you could so how did that happen? It happened because herbivores basically running, you know, on the pasture. I mean, the pasture was hundreds of miles. Plains. Yeah, the plains. Uh, it wasn't because, uh, not to get political, but it wasn't because it was a vegan cult, uh, pasture. <laughs> I mean, right. That's not what happened. And the people didn't, you know, they harvested animals from the pasture, essentially, and created some of the healthiest people who've ever lived. And yeah. so that, that has inspired me to think the soil matters. And that's why I invited you, because my guess is you know a whole lot more about soil than I. That's pretty much the extent of it right there. You know, that well, that's, a good, that's a great start. You know, uh, um, so with that, uh, tell us uh, who you are, how you got into this, what we should know about soil. I mean, that's a huge topic, right? But yeah, you know, yeah. and what is char grow and why might that help people? Uh, create better soil, better plants, better health. And thanks okay. for coming. And again, please, yeah, sure. if I got anything wrong, please correct me there. No, I think uh, everything's right so far. The Albrecht papers are great. They were the first time uh, a lot of people learned about what's called the base saturation principle, which is, you know, not only do you want to have the nutrients, you want to have them in a pretty good balance. And a lot of that's based on those Midwest soils. Uh, yeah, the 15 feet of soil was so good, you could build your house out of it. And yeah. that's what people did and still yeah. have plenty to spare. So, uh, yeah, that just shows you the potential 
of what was there. And uh, one of the management techniques, uh, there's a book called, uh, what is it, 1491, The Americas Before Columbus. Yeah. One of the big management techniques, and I saw it when I lived, I lived in Kansas. I worked for Kansas Crop Improvement Association as a crop inspector, and uh, they were still burning the prairie. Yeah, right. And uh, what that does, they burn the woody species, sort of get them out of the way, and the grass comes right back. Doesn't really harm the grass much at all, but it adds charcoal, and this is where the char comes in. So charcoal, a, a gram, you know, like about this big of a piece of charcoal can have the surface area of two tennis courts. So it's got all this pore space inside of pore space inside of, so it's the ultimate battery. It's the ultimate holder of nutrients, biology, water. And so when they were when burning the battery, great- what do you mean by battery? A, a, a kind of an engine that yeah. uh and and this this relates to uh char grow as well um so it holds so much more nutrients than soil could ever hold by itself and so that carbon they they've done some studies and somewhere i have a, a little paper i wrote on it where they said um most of the fertility of the great plains is due to carbon added prior to colonization well, manure is a form of carbon from, you know, buffalo or whatever, but also natives, their major form of management was burn it. Yeah. And sure enough, everything came back better. Why did it come back well, better? Well, grass, of course, responds pretty quick to fire, but the charcoal that was laid down into those soils now holds more nutrients, holds more water and holds more beneficial organisms than it could before. And so that is a big, big deal. So that's why, um, you know, I mean, not to interrupt, but I, I read, a, yeah. I also was very inspired by a book about the health and, and eating habits of native Californians. And essentially, wow. bef- because they ate, you know, a, incredible diversity of food and were also very healthy. And they also used burning. Uh, they, they had the whole state of California was like a, a managed garden, essentially, and it was managed through burning. And they planted certain things there and, you know, whatever. And yeah, it was all by burning. Yep. And that's, you know, they didn't have fertilizer. Uh, The buffalo were doing a great job, but the woody species were the ones that were kind of uh, in the way in a lot of times. And so burning was the go-to method. And uh, prior to colonization, vast areas of the United States were managed and everybody thought, Oh, it's just some native Americans running around here. No, they were managing acreage, you know, even here in in the Carolinas, you know, on the top of these mountains, there'll be a man-made bald where they cut the trees and they would burn it. And of course, a lot easier to hunt there late in the afternoon. You can get a pretty good shot off without having to figure out how to get through the trees. So uh, yeah, huge, huge effects. And um, a similar, you know, the whole biochar story came out of the, uh, the testing and work done in the Amazon, looking at soils that were tropical soils that shouldn't have been able to do anything in terms of holding nutrients, yet they get to these areas, super deep, very black soils, and they realize the natives in those times didn't slash and burn. They slashed, collected, charred, and put the char back out. 
and that held all that nutrient and that made it super, super fertile. And the first, uh, you know, I think it was the Spaniards that went up the Amazon. They were amazed at how many people were there, the, the depth and the complexity of the civilization. And they, they were, of course, looking for gold. But, you know, how, how did all these people get here? And, and the, the agriculture was on par with anything in Europe. In other words, the, um, the complexity of food. Of course, it was, you know, all hand agriculture, but charcoal was the key component. And um, so, so I guess so let's that, even get a little more basic. What are the components of soil that these people and you are looking for? Okay, so when I uh, when I talk to growers and uh, do consulting in that, I I talk about chemical, physical, and biological. And so the chemical, you know, you can look in the Albrecht papers. There's really good information on how to balance what's called base saturation. So you need good calcium. Calcium is actually, in my opinion, more important than nitrogen. Nitrogen will grow a great crop, but if the calcium is not there, the structure is not there, the whole thing could fall apart. Calcium is like um, a scaffolding, so to speak. You bet. It's the structure. So um, common thing, uh, you can use a calcium deficiency, blossom end rot in tomatoes. You get a great tomato and then it just rots. It doesn't have the calcium to keep it strong. Uh, in yeah. grapes, it's called botrytis or watery yeah. berry. You get to the end of the season, the grapes look great, and then they just go to mush. They don't have enough structure to hold up. Right. The calcium is huge, and, and the Albrecht papers will uh, explain the base saturation principle. And then the other nutrients in correct balance, because if one nutrient's too, too dominant, it can suppress uptake of other nutrients. So it's really about that balance. So that's, that's the chemical. So that tool. first component is essentially minerals. Minerals in minerals, a... Chemistry, uh, yeah, the, you know, getting the minerals out there and, and being able to, um, bring them out of, of tied up systems. Um, so for so instance, bioavailable minerals in, in a balanced right. form and in the soil, if you don't have the bio, they're not going to be available. So, yeah, right. uh, for instance, uh, mycorrhizal fungi is, is much more common. People know much more about it these days, but they have the enzyme systems to extract phosphorus from, from mineral form, and then they pump it into the plant in a symbiotic relationship. So right there, without that relationship, a plant could be deficient in phosphorus just because it's natural mycorrhizae that should be there aren't there. Right. And so, you know, these agro systems, Regardless of whether there's phosphorus chemically in the soil or not. Right. So there's there's um, different levels of availability. There's soluble phosphorus. Then there's things like soft rock phosphate that becomes soluble and available later. And there's hard rock phosphate. It's going to be a while. But if you have the biology, then that bank account of minerals can be utilized. And um, so that's the next part. So, you know, you could, you could have all the chemistry, right? But if you don't have the biology, you're in a world of trouble because you won't have soil structure. You won't and have- what do you mean by biology? What, what, is, what are you referring to there? Uh, bacteria, fungi, protozoa, mycorrhizal fungi. Living um, things. Great, in other words, living things. It's called the soil food web. And, and for your viewers, they should Google that, USDA Soil Food Web. It, uh, um, 
It's called the uh, Soil Biology Primer. It came out in uh, 1998, and it was the first time the USDA was like really deep in, you know, doing a deep dive into what is the biology of the soil? What is the entire food web that's going on there? That that web that feeds the food to the plants. They're not even talking about humans yet. And um, there's a and I and I always point to people uh, a couple pages. There, there's an actual page in there where it names the organisms and their functions. So some organisms are breaking down substrates and other organisms take those and utilize them in their biological process. And the organisms are eating organisms as many as a thousand transformations of nitrogen can be occurring per minute. And it's sort of like they're all eating each other for various forms of, of um, available carbons and releasing nitrogen. And so you want that little engine running as efficiently as possible. You want all that biology just consuming, consuming, consuming. And it so has we're, we're talking about essentially a mineral transformation, so to speak, the, the, the transfer of inorganic minerals into something that a living being first digests and then excretes and then food for another living being yep. and on yep. and on and on up the food chain. Yeah. And in the, in the soil food web food chain, I mean, the plant can get some nutrients on its leaf surfaces above ground, but below yeah. ground, the plant eats last. Now you could, you could put some soluble spoon feed in some stuff and it can take some of that out, but in natural ecosystems, all these processes are occurring, you know, over and over and over till finally the plant gets the last piece. And, and, and it's very, it's very symbiotic too. So, um, when the plant is, you know, first first got its first two leaves, first two cotyledons, starts photosynthesis, it makes photosynthate, which is just simple sugar, simple sugars and carbohydrates. It puts those into its roots. Most of it is going into the roots, and that makes sense. They got to have great roots. But then, of what goes into the roots, a significant portion, people have reported, thirty to fifty percent of the photosynthate, the simple sugars and carbohydrates, are put out of the roots. And everybody's like, well, wait, that, that doesn't sound right. No, they put those simple sugars and carbohydrates out of their roots so that their roots get infected by the beneficials that have the enzyme system to bring the water and, right. the, you know, everything in. in. So words, that's, yeah, it's that's like honey to bees. They're putting honey out so the bees come and eat them. Yep. And the soil is that digestive system. It's yeah. constantly digesting, breaking down, breaking down. All the biology is constantly cycling all these nutrients. The more biology you have, the greater biodiversity you have, the, the quicker and better the nutrient cycling occurs to the point you can seriously cut input costs. You know, old growth forests, they don't need any inputs but sun and water. Yeah. They do everything else through the biome. And uh, a lot of that same... Uh, and that's about the diversity of the of the organisms in the soil, predominantly. Amount, some diversity, even more important. Right, right. I, I I talk to growers and you know sometimes fairly large agribusiness folks, you know, and, and I'll say, well, you you know you got the the chemical tool. You're very aware of that. You, you know, you got your soil test. You've been doing that for years, and it got you so far. You know, uh, you get paid bushels to the acre not necessarily quality, 
but of course, if they're if they're growing animals, they they're they're back. Well, give me some quality too, you know. But um, and I call that the chemical tool. You know, that's the minerals. That's the that's the chemistry. And you guys, you know, had that dialed up for years. And you got your physical tools. Okay, now you you know you burnt down some of the carbon. Your soil doesn't have it as loose. So you're going out there with these big subsoiling plows. You know, even in the garden, you're going out there and you're just tilling like crazy. Well, that's a physical tool and it can be useful, but you've taken that as far as it can go. But on the biological tool, it's like you've had the dial turned down all the way. Yeah. You know, you're you're you you run uh, you, you till <laughs> slice and dice it and, and maybe let it lie fallow. Temperature goes up, you know, California, you know, 120, 130 fry all the biology. And now, yeah. well, it's, it's it's pretty sterile now. Sure. But you need that biology, and that's yeah. what's going wrong. That's that's what causes desertification. That's what caused the Dust Bowl. That's what's causing, uh, in the middle part of the U.S., there's a it's called the 100th meridian. There's a line at which the drier soils switch over to what's called subhumid soils, and that line is moving east. The, the soils are drying out. It's like the Dust Bowl's coming back, folks. Yeah. And... Uh, and that's because it, the biology, what you're describing as the microorganisms, the word that I would use, is being yeah. lost because nobody even really is aware of the importance. Yeah, it's funny. Um, somewhere back, you know, you, you might talk to a, a, you know, a person in their 50s or 60s and they'll still have the story of their dad or their grandfather telling them, no, no, you know, you got to get these manures back in there and and, you know, cover crops, you know, they'll, they'll be thinking that way, but then they might not necessarily do all those practices in their, you know. And the manure is, is obviously a natural source of, you know, the poop of an animal is that, you know, lots of micro, you know, huge yeah. diversity and amount of microbes. And then, and then there's a whole nother level to, the, to that. Um, when I first came to North Carolina, I was I was doing some composting. I set up a compost company with this dairy farmer, and uh, I was like, "Hey, what was that?" And he goes, "Oh, that's a dung beetle. They're really rare." I was like, "They're rare." He goes, "Oh yeah, you don't see them anymore, but you used to see them." Dung beetles also um, evolved in association with grasslands and herbivores. And what they do is they get that dung and they roll it up and they put it down underground uh -huh. as food for the next progeny. And so they're literally putting the stuff down under very yeah. efficiently without us. And uh, there's some grazing systems uh, in Florida that I've, uh, you know, gone to and helped out recently. And they and they got dung beetles back. And that's uh -huh. huge. Yeah. Because now you're putting that somewhat composted ball of great stuff down under. Yeah. Where it holds moisture, holds biology, feeds the soil, increases digestion, increased nutrient cycling. And that's what you want. That's the real, uh, you know, top of the line biology. And uh, so, so if you have that, you can do so much more. And that's kind of how I got to Chargro. So um, I right. was. So let's, but let's go uh, just give us basics. So char grow what what is charcoal like i know that's a stupid question but maybe if, charcoal is is uh and, and specifically the charcoal that you use not regular charcoal. yes good good point because charcoal could be coal not a great thing yeah for what i do so it's a above ground biomass wood in our situation we're using southern pine often 
to uh, to create that charcoal. It's wood that's heated at a, at a at a pretty decent high temperature, 400 to 600. Could even go higher depending on what you're trying to get, what characteristics you want. Because in charring it, it's a little like popcorn. It opens it up, the outside gets burned, but then the then it all the internal pore structure of the original plant, the xylem and the phloem, remember that yeah. from high school, right? Yeah. All that is still contained in that charcoal. That charcoal, we used, to, we used to do char art, you know, you you could put in something, take it out. It looks a lot like what you put in. It's just shrunk down. Yeah. And so that poor structure is what you're after. That's why charcoal is so important. And I didn't, um, I came from a, from a different Do they do it without angle. oxygen? The, the, or Yes, generally something? speaking, you burn in the absence of oxygen. And um, there's lots of ways to do that. And you can make combined heat and power while doing it. Some of the charcoal on the planet is from combined heat and power plants that have what's called high carbon fly ash. There's some, there's a lot of char in there, but then to, to cool the char, it's like, it's like um, up in the Northwest, these, these uh, warehouser and some of the big lumber companies, all the trash to them with the bark, the, you know, the cutoff pieces. Yeah. That's fuel. They put in these big boilers and they make hot water to help strip logs and to do processes. And then the last bit of that process, they're quenching the ash because they got to move it out. And but that ash will still contain a huge amount of charcoal because these are old, old boilers. It's like an old wood stove, you know, a, a new wood stove. You can hardly find any charcoal. Old wood stove. Oh, look at all that little pieces. Yeah. You know, yeah. so they, they basically wash it by by quenching it. Now you've got high fixed carbon. That was made at a great temperature and a lot of that when you know when there was droughts in california before a lot of that was going to california because the growers knew you could put that in like with an alfalfa rotation alfalfa fixes nitrogen so it doesn't need as much nitrogen talk about building the soil though put the char in go to your alfalfa crop crop is the rotation till some of that in now you've got nitrogen and all that biology and really increases holding capacity and right. that's what you're after Okay, so, so the charcoal part is basically charred biomass, particularly wood, and it's got all these pores. It's basically, you know, fixed xylem and phloem, you know, like the it's yep. channels, yep. essentially. Yeah. And, and the purpose of that, you know, I heard it described once as like a hotel for organisms. Yes. Yes. So, um, and when I first learned about that, I was at a compost course, these folks from... Um, from Austria were teaching it and they, they had got disease suppression via compost and I had gotten that too, but I'm like, I need to figure out how they got there, you know? And so uh, they had an electron microscope and we were able to look at people. He said, everybody bring in some soil, bring in your best soil, bring in your best, whatever. And they, you would look, you would look and you know how you're, when you, we got a microscope, you're kind of looking and you're kind of focusing up and down. So as you focus down, in a not very good soil or, or even like a low, low grade clay, you only see a few layers, right? When you get to high organic matter soils, you're seeing more layers. And when you get to really great soils with lots of carbon in them, it's like you're looking down into Manhattan. It's like you can see so, and there's all these structures and there's all these side structures. So you're getting into this fractal quality where spaces within spaces within spaces. And of yeah. course, that's what you want, you know, and we used to, we used to laugh, you know, we need Manhattan for microbes, you know, that's, that's what we want. And so the, the density of the population goes way up. 
Yeah, and yeah. so that's how I got into it, really, because I was like, OK, I can make this compost and it'll suppress diseases of plants. Really hard to make, hard to register as a biocontrol agent, all these problems. OK, then I could extract biology off a of compost. Easier to do. I can feed it grow organisms and that's this compost tea you've probably heard of before yeah. and so now you can have a million fold increase in 24 hours of bacteria and a much slower increase in beneficial fungi but now you got the super concentrate so let me but just tell you there so we're talking about you make compost just normal manure and you know whatever and and yeah. then you've got these organisms and then you put it in a tea to essentially culture the organisms so that you concentrate yep. them and okay, yep. now what? So you're, you've extracted, you've grown them. Now that tea could be used like over the top of a potting soil. I was like, yeah, that's great. But now how do I sell that? Now I got to transport liquid, you know? So how do I get that biology concentrated? And I'm looking at um, uh, different kinds of clay, like a kitty litter. That's a Montmorillonite clay. It'll hold on to a lot. That's why they use it, you know, baseball diamonds. You can rake it in and dry it out and play ball, you know, yeah. or, uh, you know, kitty litter or oil dry is the material that, you know, you spill the oil and you throw it on there. I was looking at clays because I'd already used clays in these very complex organic potting soils because they buffer chemist chemical reactions and hold on to things. Yeah. So I'm playing with the clays and getting in there and then I get to charcoal. And it was like, wow, I could put so much more biology into something via charcoal. I could, I could pack more biology than I could with the compost. So we, we made these great potting soils, and they contained about 40% by volume great compost. And I'm like, I am going to just break into the conventional potting soil world. I'm going to own this, right? I was super yeah. cocky because I knew I made a better potting soil, but it weighed too much. And because it weighed too much, all the light plastic flats and stuff they use would break and nobody liked it. And the conventional guys are, doesn't work in our machines. Done. I was like, okay, I'm never going to break into that. How yeah. about organic? Definitely organic because you can make soil blocks out of it. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Yeah. Um, but you can make soil blocks out of it. And organic growers, they're used to playing with compost. So they're, they can handle the weight, you know. But then it was... How do you get to a light like germination mix if it's too heavy with compost? Inoculants. So you could you, you could you spray compost tea or you could put biology onto biochar and now tiny amounts of biochar with the right biology can do great things. And that led me to this formulation, my, my trade secret formulation that we then tested at Virginia Tech. And, um, you know, we did lots of different crops. And we were able to see basically uh, transplant. So, you know, you grow a transplant six to eight weeks. And at the end of six to eight weeks, our transplant was a little bigger. It's like, okay, tougher, stronger, you know, so, thicker. Yeah, let me, let me stop you there. So without getting into the secret part, but essentially yeah. spraying or pudding or soaking or something, the, the, the charcoal, the biochar, right, with, with this compost tea, so you're essentially yeah. My my um my thing's a little more complex than that, but yes. Yeah. Uh, anybody out there who has some compost tea and wants to do saying things with it, you can soak it into the char, and what that'll do 
is increases efficacy of the biology because it lives longer. Yeah, right. Compost tea, you put it out there and the sun comes out, you know, compost tea, the right time of day is really important to get it out there. Like late afternoon is great because it's on those leaf surfaces all night or it's drenched into the soil and you, you, you know, you want it living and having things to live on. Whereas with charcoal, you've got these safe harbors up in the charcoal. There's water up in there. The biology can get up in there. And in a pinch, the biology can, can extract a little bit off of the char itself. Yeah. So it's, it's safe harbors. And so, yeah, there's a whole, you know, um, movement of, you know, just making extracts, making teas, putting them onto carbons, putting the carbons into compost. So there's, there's lots of ways to deliver this biology. And what you're doing is you're getting it to stick around and live. Got it. You know, it, it's, it's less likely to be killed off by whatever the next thing is. And then you could even kill off some of the surface biology. And when the rainstorm comes and those high salt fertilizers leach a little bit and the plant's still putting out exudates, come on, somebody get back over here. They'll hatch back out. It's, it. really, it's really a way to keep the beneficial biology going. Got and it. So, um, yeah, so I got that, to charcoal. That process, that product is what you call char growth. Well, we call we call it char grow biogranules. Biogranules. Yeah. That's what's in that's what's in the bottles. Here's one. Yeah. Ta -da. Got it. <laughs> yeah, that's what's in the bottle. So it's without getting too deep on the, you know, the trade secret part, you yeah. can think okay. of it as beneficial biology, foods for the beneficial biology, and substrates that the beneficial biology live on. Yeah. So in that bottle. It's too dry. They're stuck. They got nowhere to go. But they're they're by no means dead. Yeah. They're in spore forms. They're just sitting there waiting for water and exudates. If if and early on we we did we we played no this is a very dry product we we thought well how what if it's a little moist can we still do something with that and what'll happen is if there's too much moisture in that little bottle. The fungi, that little bit of moisture that's left, they'll start utilizing that. And remember, it's foods, substrates, and biology. They just start going. And that whole bottle will knit together, and you won't get anything out of it. It'll just be one big blob, <laughs> just biology, like stuck. And so oh, we, we, we learned that one early on. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the, the char is this kind of empty battery that then yeah. you can load up. Got Once it. loaded... It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's just yeah. amazing. And, and it takes, you know, anywhere from one to 2000 years for it to break down. It. So it stays there as this holding uh, cell. And um, like I said, back on, back to the great plains, they think uh, most of the fertility, uh, what was really holding a lot of the fertility of the great plains was the carbon added prior to colonization, probably by the native Americans who were, burning to get that quality Got and um so yeah right, that's so really... what what have you seen with using it and then let's then we can probably uh get into fit and finish with how do people use it okay yeah so what we saw we um we ran trials a number of places um in ohio during a drought the grower was growing sweet corn and uh it was the days of the flip phone he was out there with his flip phone and he's he's yelling at me he goes 
you should see this. And I'm like, oh, what do you see? And he goes, well, the soil, you can ball it up in your hands. It's holding moisture. I said, all right, so you got good soil. Uh, you know, that's nothing. Yeah. Nine feet away, it was dust. It was, it was during a drought. So that was, that was one of the big aha moments. And he actually saw fungal hyphae, those, that little white mycelium yeah. you maybe see in the woods or whatever, on the surface. And, and it was the fungi, the mycelium went right to the stalk of the plant. And I quickly, I sent it off the microbiologist. Is this even possible that the, that the fungi can be processing some, some uh, you know, crop residue and pumping it directly? And they were like, yeah, that usually doesn't only happen in forest ecosystems, but yes. And I was like, wow, we're onto something now. So Got it. we were, we were thinking, okay, it's going to be sweet corn. And then uh, I took it to Virginia tech and he said, nah, you can't afford that. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you're seeing effects nine feet away from the target application. He goes, you know how big a field you're going to have to have to have all these replicates of different rates. He goes, you can afford those trials. I was like, okay, skip corn. Let's move on. You know? And we did, um, we did potatoes, about a 25% increase in yield. We were seeing there um, peppers. And then when we got to tomatoes, it got really interesting because we had all this data from the end of the season, which is like five picks. And uh, it was like a 30 or 40% increase overall, something like that. And he goes, but you should have seen the first pick. And I was like, well, tell me about the, and they had the data. It was a 50% increase in yield at first pick. And it came in like one to two weeks early. Wow. And I was like, wow. And, and this guy, he, he was, you know, a cover crop expert that I worked with. And he, and he says, I think probably part of what's going on is your biology is utilizing the cover crop better. I said, absolutely. Yeah, right. There's organisms that eat that, munch that down. And so we were, we were getting better nutrients cycling, right? Then we got earlier. So, so we had those two plants and, you know, ours was 25% bigger. We put them in the field and luckily we had flags because in a few weeks you couldn't see any difference. It was, I was just like, ah, I guess that's not going to happen. And he goes, no, let's, you know, we got the markers. We can see the, um, the Chargro biogranule treatment flowered early. I was like, oh, that's good because that's an effect. Uh, an earlier maturity means that your plant is, you know, putting energy into that early. That's a good thing. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of reasons why that's good. Well, the next reason is it starts to yield earlier. So you got more tomatoes. And if you're the first tomato on the market, you can call your price. So yeah. now we got tomatoes a little earlier. And then the first pick was 50% increase in yield. And took me a couple years later to go through the data with them. And I was saying, well, wait a second, you know, with your cover crop, you're used to using less fertilizer. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, we can send, you know, we could save, you know, 10, 15% on a fertilizer and we might get a 10% bump in yield. I said, okay, we got a 50% bump in yield. What'd you do with fertilizer? He goes, oh, it was, and he, and he gave me what he used. And then I went out to conventional growers and I said, how much do you guys use? He's using 50% less. So if I was like, wow, now we got something, uh, you know, trials over <laughs> time, yeah. time to try to figure out how to get this into some markets. Right. And uh, so that's what we saw. And what, what it kind of proves in, in the soil, a lot of this biology is lacking for whatever reason in yeah. backyard gardens. It might've been, you just rototilled too much. Or you, or you didn't have a cover crop, or you didn't lay in some nice manures and things. Um, but it also shows 
that the biology is lacking in a potting soil. And everybody's used to, well, it's kind of a sterile medium, might have some nutrients, but you can totally load the biology as soon as that plant puts out exudates. So yeah. you can build a way better, tougher, stronger transplant. And that's why the, the bottle label switched to just a plant transplant. We used to have like a pretty carbon picture and everybody would look at it and go, what's that? I mean, uh, carbon? Didn't yeah. mean anything. Now we show the transplant and people go, oh, this is what it does. And uh, so that's really, that was the big aha moment. And, you know, we, we continue to do more trials. If I didn't send it to you, I have um, field trials, plants and row yeah. crops. This is over yeah. many years. Uh, you know, I can get that out to people, but, um, and that, and that gets into the application rates. It's in a, in a, in a potting media, it's about two and a half percent by volume. However you want to do that, you, you know, depending on the size of your plants and stuff. So in the, in the brochure, it, it gets into some of those rates and then down the row. And this, this came back to our corn trials. We were going, um, 10 to 15 pounds. So imagine, you know, a 10 pound bags like this big per acre. So that's not very much. And, and it was like, how are we going to get that out there? Well, but the old, that doesn't um, sound like 10, uh, you know, I have 10 pound bags and, and for an acre, that's not very much like that's a right. sprinkling on, on the exactly. Soil. So what we had to do there was, and, and I was working with a, a, a grain grower, a guy who has like his own little feed and seed and he grows the grains. I said, man, you know, how, how are we going to do this? This was, you know, the beginning of the trials. He goes, well, you have to, you have to place it on the row next to the seed. I said, well, that's, that's kind of hard to do it. He goes, well, no, they had these old hoppers that were made to, to drop a granular insecticide next to the seed. And so we dialed it in for that. Basically some of the shapes and sizes are, you know, allow it to fall through that. And so you just, there's this little thin black line and right on that black line is where the seed will be. And with moisture, things take off. So that's that was how we started figuring out some of the rates per acre. So just a dribble down the row gets you where you need to go. So yeah, when I when I do my my beds are basically four or so feet wide by however long. And you know, my way of doing it, I just kind of go out there and throw it on and, and let it sink into the soil. And then I transplant right into that or yes. my seeds into that. I know it's not very precise, but is that okay to do it like that? It's okay. You are feeding everybody. Yeah. So if you got really tight spacings and your, your plants are shading out the weeds, you'll be great. If you All don't right. you have a lot of spacings, you're going to have those weeds love it too. Yeah. So, right. um, that's where, uh, you know, if you started in the transplant, you've got inoculum and you might at the, you know, either you, some people step up transplants a little bigger because it's not quite time to go out. Yeah. But at the time of transplant, the, the trick at Virginia Tech we learned was fish emulsion. Uh -huh. and, so, uh, so one way is to mix your potting soil with some biochar or grow char. Biogranules. Yeah, and yeah. Char is actually the name of the company now. In the beginning, it was the name okay. of the product. Right. Then it became the name of the company, and then we thought biogranules. People can get that. 
Got the it. granular biology. Yeah. Got it. So, so that's I know, a little confusing, but that's yeah, how so it happens. Once it's in the potting soil, it'll be in the transplant and it'll be in the eventually right. in the eventual bed that it yeah. yeah. So so the ideal, ideal, ideal system would be you have a bed. Maybe you've got something like Austrian winter pea. It overwinters in this part of the world and it fixes nitrogen. And maybe that's growing and you till that in that maybe that's your cover crop right yeah now you're about to put your transplant in and you get some fish emulsion and use it just at labeled rates it's a very dilute rate and that's your starter what, Got what it. people think is their starter fertilizer but it's way more than that it might be two to four percent nitrogen and you know similar phosphorus and potassium but that's not the key the key is that cover crop's been tilled in. It's not broken down yet. You're bringing in this new biology that's been living in this little blob with your, with your plant. You put that in and the biologies and the roots are going to move out and they're going to find things to eat. And you just put in a monster biological food called fish emulsion. Yeah. And another whole biological bloom kicks right at that moment. And all that digestion speeds up. And that plant's like Yahoo and off it goes stronger, tougher. And, and it starts digesting it. that last year's cover crop. Then. Whatever's in there. Yep. And, and there. what you did is you fed the, the fish feeds bacteria and fungi. Yeah. And so both of them start working for you. And of course, you know, there better be some water for them and all, but that really gets that engine kicking to another level. So that was, you know, people say, well, how, how could you do that? You know, we did it three years in a row at Virginia Tech. One year, it was even higher yield, but they didn't want to talk about it because it was way too high. They're like, okay, that could be an anomaly. I'm like, okay, you don't want to talk about it. I understand conservative. Stay with the, you know, yeah. stay with the statistics. But um, can, you, can you use hay or straw instead of cover crop? Yeah, a little bit of straw. So now we're getting into things like carbon to nitrogen ratio. Yeah, right. Yeah. That carbon of the straw has to break down. A hay, true hay, has leaves, it's greener. Yeah. Right, right. So it'll break down faster. So there's different things that break down at different rates. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, your cover crop working. Hopefully, it's it's dead. It's been broken down a little bit, and you know you knock it down in, and, and it's the greater the surface area, the more shredded it is, the more surfaces yeah. gets eaten faster. And you, know, you, you chewed it before you swallowed it. You know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So all those little tricks, you can, I, I call it stacking all the cards in your favor because you have, you have this super plant now because it's got the inoculant on it. You put it in the soil. Hopefully there's some food out there. That's the cover crop worked in. Then at the time of transplant, a little fish and suddenly that biological bloom underground and what's called the rhizosphere is really kicking. Yeah. And now the plant has everything it needs. And what was interesting to me at Virginia Tech, so they use drip irrigation and uh, with drip irrigation, conventional uh, methods, you, you drip in fertilizer as well. So, but I had a tough enough plant that by the time the first fertilization came in, and of course he, was, he knew about his cover crop, so he would, he would always err on the light side of the fertilizer. But by the time that drip came in, the high soluble salts that are often present in fertilizers didn't kill the biology. It was, it was already doing its thing. Uh, and yeah. so it showed that this organic biological method could be integrated into conventional agriculture, which would use 
chemical soluble fertilizers. And that's, that's the one thing. Get rid of them entirely, which is probably the goal. That is the goal. But how do you, how do you meet them where they are? How do you help them transition to a more happy state? (laughs) It's it's not easy, but uh, they can get there. And then, you know, that organic crops worth more too. So, Hey, take a look at that. But, um, and then a more efficient use of water. So now you're reducing input costs while making more product, more, more crop. I thought, okay, that I could probably help some growers with. And, you know, so I still to this day sell to a lot of organic growers. And since that time I developed it, many, many companies are now into bio, bio inoculants and all of agriculture is starting to pay attention to that. And, uh, they, they're, they're starting to change their methodology. The thing about biology, if you do it right, it's cheaper than fertilizers. Yeah, totally. It's easier to kill. It's easier to kill than the plant. And not yeah. everybody can handle that. Like even for in greenhouses where I love to explain this because they already know that if the salts, the soluble salts get too high in that little potting soil that they're growing the transplant on, it won't make it to the next stage of maturity or if right. it's real bad, they won't even germinate. So they know that. And I'm like, well, all I'm doing is taking that to another level. You're going to dial the salts back even further to keep the biology alive. Cause that biological tool does things that your fertilizers could never do. Never do. Got it. And all then right. that's how I bring them around. All right. I think we got it. So tell us uh, how we can learn more about this. Well, um, for the bio lot, for the biology part, you go to uh, look up the soil biology primer and that you just Google soil biology primer USDA and the book is online. I think yeah. it's free. They used, they used okay. to sell those booklets. So there's, there's some pieces on the Chargro website. There's some examples. So yeah. And tell us what your website is. Char-grow.com. Char-grow.com. Got it. And yep. there there's, I've seen it. There's a lot of information and, uh, we are, I'm sure you are, but we're also carrying your biogranules and um, then you can get more information from your website on how to use them. And it's pretty easy. And, and uh, I've, I've been using it myself and I like it. One of yeah. my best years ever. So awesome. Yeah. John, awesome. thank you. Thank you. I think we Appreciate got it. it. And we uh, this month. <laughs> This bump and we'll be in touch and we're happy to work with you on this. All right. Well, thank you very really much. Great stuff. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.